Welcome to the Storyform Podcast, where we journey together at the intersection of faith and story. I'm your host, Will Chenault, Soul Care Pastor at Fellowship Bible Church in Jackson, Tennessee. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. Let's get this conversation started. Well, welcome to the Storyform Podcast. Uh, I have as my guest today, uh, Julianne Stone. And Julianne is the director of a nonprofit here in Jackson called the Scarlet Rope Project. And I asked Julianne on this podcast because this is a very significant ministry uh, within our city. And Julianne, welcome. I'm really looking forward to hearing your story and spending some time with you today. I appreciate you having me. Yeah. So for our listeners uh, who are listening to the podcast who may be asking the question, what is the Scarlet Rope Project? Let's just jump in with with that uh, to begin with. What is the Scarlet Rope Project? So our mission is to provide a safe place of healing and restoration to survivors of sex trafficking 18 years and older, female survivors. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have have kind of a, added other things throughout the years, um, one of those being a hotel outreach um, where we go in to different hotels, four hotels um, throughout the city, um, and provide food um, with another local church here, um, provide food. Everybody's staying in those hotels um, looking for potential victims, um, letting them know that there is help out there, and just building connections, um, just offering them hope through that. Um, And then the third tier would be education and awareness, doing things like this, just kind of getting out to the communities that yes, we have sex trafficking here. Mm-hmm. It is in every community. It has a lot of ugly heads and it looks a lot of different ways. And so just starting that conversation about what it is and what it looks like in the different areas. Mm-hmm. Do you get a lot of people surprised that we actually have women who are sex trafficked in Jackson, Tennessee? Um, when we started this six years ago, yes, we did. Um we actually had people like jaw drop when I would tell them. Um, they would think, uh, and you know, that it's overseas or that, well, um, I'm immune from it because it's it's a white van that pulls up to Walmart and kidnaps somebody and chains them in a basement. And the preconceived notion of what it was, um, you know, um, was also uh, way off. And so... Um, I think through, hopefully through organizations like Scarlet Rope and through um, other um, just nonprofits throughout the United States, I th- we're getting it out there mm-hmm. um, of what it is. And um, and so I think people are more aware. It's a hot topic. These, yeah. I mean, it's a hot topic and right. we want it to stay a hot topic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the name, Scarlet Rope. Um. Yeah, so we um, actually Debbie Curry was one is one of the founders of Scarlet Rep Project, and she came up with the name. She and some others, and um, it's based off the off Rahab in the Bible, um, the scarlet rope that was thrown out the window um, when the spies came in to destroy the city, and the scarlet rope signified her and her family were in that. Um, building, and so they knew not to destroy it. And sure enough, it wasn't destroyed. But the great thing about that is that Rahab shows up in the lineage of Christ. And so that's exactly what we want the women entering to our program or any woman that we provide resources for to know that she's in the lineage of Christ. Wow. 
So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, that by the very nature of the name, it's mm-hmm. centered in the redemption. The re- uh, absolutely mm-hmm. redemption. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So how did you get connected to this ministry? Uh, that's... Um, I feel like I have a different answer every time someone <laughs> asks me that question. I still, um, I still kind of am like, how did I end up here? Um, you know, um, well, I, I started off as a volunteer. I was a hospice nurse before I did this. And so when, when this was started through Debbie Curry and some other concerned citizens, um, and they were just working with women that were arrested for prostitution, um, I came in as a volunteer. Um, just um, we were housing them at the care center, which is a great facility here for women in our community, and so that's where they were being they were living. And I just kind of came in as the volunteer, um, making sure that they had clothes, um, you know, taking them to lunch, taking them to Starbucks, kind of just starting a friendship with them. But we we really soon realized that. Um, there's a lot that is entailed in this. There's a lot of needs. And so um, about after a year of doing that, uh, we realized we wanted to become more of a trauma-informed facility or, or organization. And so after about two and a half years of, of that, we just took a leap of faith and um, uh, per, uh, rented a, a home, a safe home, and um moved the women from the care center to that facility. And that's when things got real interesting. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how that's how I ended up here. But I will say, I know now um, that it was just a prayer that I prayed probably 10 years ago that just a simple prayer of like, Lord, let me be your hands and feet. Mm-hmm. And um, I probably prayed that prayer many times. And um and I really had no, this is what I want to do, or this is what I think it needs to be. It was just like, Lord, let me be your hands and feet. And so this is where he chose to place me. Mm-hmm. When you first initially began as a volunteer working with these women, mm-hmm. what was it that drew your heart to mm-hmm. to to this type of work? And can you remember back as a volunteer and uh, you know that what was it in in that time that said gosh this is this is a work that i want to give my life mm-hmm. to well and i i'm a registered nurse okay. um so um i have that that heart of mercy mm-hmm. in me i think most nurses do and so i know that um the lord has given me that gift of just of mercy mm-hmm. um i also know that um about myself is I've always kind of been for the underdog. Yeah. Um, I'm just always, that's just how, what God has planted inside of me. And so um, just getting to know the women right off the bat and hearing um, their stories and, you know, realizing that they truly, they're awesome people. They're brave people. They're, I mean, they're fun people. Um they're they're like they're just like me. I mean, I've recognized so much of myself in them and so much of the struggles. But I also realized that there's a lot of trauma involved in this, not just trauma from the trafficking. Um, they all have significant stories of childhood trauma. Um, and it looks like a multi, uh, an array of, of different types of trauma, but bottom line it's trauma. And um and so just I would want someone um if if that were 
someone, if, if I were in that situation, I would pray that someone would be kind to me and that would help me. And so that's just kind of um, what I want to do for these women. Um, and I guess that's the bottom line yeah. of it is that um, this was my, my daughter or my best friend or someone like that. I would want someone to, to offer them some mm-hmm. help and support. Offer them a, a place of dignity, Absolutely. of of, um, of safety, mm-hmm. of of the reality that um, you are made in the image of God and have deep dignity and worth. And yet, we're also mm-hmm. going to help you navigate through mm-hmm. some of the trauma that you've experienced, so that you mm-hmm. can become mm-hmm. a whole person, Absolutely. that you can heal. And that's uh, for me personally. When when I started into this, I, I have no history of sexual abuse. I have no history of addiction. Um, I mean, I've, I've got my own issues, but nothing um, comparative to to what these women have endured. Mm-hmm. And so I just kept asking that question, why me? Like, mm-hmm. why me? Um, but I believe that the Lord has used me just because um, I'm constantly asking that question mm-hmm. and it constantly keeps me on my knees. And so... I think to be in a position like this, you you have to be on your knees constantly, mm-hmm. you know, um, looking for direction and discernment. Right. So I, that's my answer as to why he chose me is because um, I'm very, I've learned, I have to be very quick to check my heart mm-hmm. to make sure it's not my agenda um, to, you know, that. He's going to weigh my heart out, and um, so I'm, I'm I'm constantly doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, and and the reality of what we think about in the in the gospels, um, Jesus uh, reaching the, the the prostitutes, the tax collectors, those that society has marginalized mm-hmm. and so, so, society has uh, stigmatized. You know this this beauty of Christ that says we're going to. We're going to love you. We're going to provide a space that you're not a project. You're a, a yeah, person of absolutely. worth that we can um, pour our life into. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. uh, so for those who are listening, Julian, how, how do we define, you said sex trafficking is mm-hmm. a very hot issue, topic. Mm-hmm. We tend to think, just as you said, a uh, white van pulls up, mm-hmm. abducts, mm-hmm. you know, goes over to Singapore and, right. you know, you've got a, a people that are, you know, in a foreign land. Mm-hmm. Help us get a little bit more clearer picture of what, how do we define sex trafficking? Well, to kind of, um, I will tell you that um, in the United States, that we know that the majority of victims of sex trafficking are United States are United States citizens. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, so that that's one misconception we want to get out to people. Now, absolutely, there are people brought over to the United States from different countries and things like that. But the majority of the people of the victims here in the United States are citizens here. Um, so when you're talking about sex trafficking, um, it it has to have three components for it to hold up in a court of law. And um, if you can kind of picture a triangle, um, at the top of that triangle, you're going to have the trafficker. And that's the person that represents someone that's getting something in return, whether that be money, drugs, food, shelter. But they're, they, 
they are getting something in return. And then uh, in one of the corners, you're going to have the victim. Um, and that's someone that's in that situation through force, fraud, or coercion. That You have to have force, force, fraud, or coercion in a court of law for it to hold up as a trafficking case. And then on the other side of the triangle, you're going to have the buyer, which represents the demand. We have sex trafficking in the United States because we have a demand. Just like we have a Walmart on every corner because everybody loves a Walmart or Kroger, whatever. Um, it's the same thing with sex trafficking. We, we have it because we have a demand. The United States is the number one consumer of pornography in the world. The number one consumer. We, we have to start having those conversations. Um, and, and that's a whole that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. Um, but the demand, you know, and so... Um, for now, Scarlet Rope is just really um, centered on um, providing s- the best services for sur- for survivors. Um, but that's another part of this movement that we would like to engage in is talking about the demand and and how we can how men can just hold men accountable and women buy as well. But we know the the majority of the buyers are are white heterosexual males. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, and, and and the nature of sex addiction and the nature mm-hmm. of pornography yeah, is absolutely. it can start as a ladder and it can start up here, um, you know, within more of a softer, and and then it mm-hmm. it, it always moves down and then mm-hmm. and then it, it, to the most um, dehumanizing, um, this person is simply just an object for mm-hmm. my desire, and that's the most um, horrific. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so yeah. So, and, in so sex trafficking has to have those three components. You have to have a trafficker, you have to have a victim and you have to have a buyer. Um, prostitution, that's just two components. That's just, <clears throat> excuse me, that's just the buyer and then the person that's selling themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I get, we talk about that a lot um, when we're doing trainings because um, people will, be in the belief that, oh, she's choosing to be there. Well, when you really start talking to women who maybe they didn't have a trafficker, maybe they truly were just self-prostituting, it's not their choice. It's because they had lack of choices. Mm -hmm. And so we need to get that information out to the public. People aren't choosing to prostitute themselves. It's the only choice that they feel that they have. And so, um, you know, really coming at it from that angle um, and how can, okay, so how can we help you have more choices? What can you do? What resources can we provide for you? Education, job, you know, um, trainings. What can we do to help you have more choices? Mm -hmm. So... So what it, the, the process with, with someone who is uh, entangled within that, mm-hmm. you meet them, you present a different reality, do you say we have a, a safe place for you to mm-hmm. come to, what does that process look like? Well, what we the, all we've served thirty three women in our safe house over the past six years, or thirty. I think it's now it's thirty four. Mm-hmm. Um, we've provided resources for hundred more, hundreds more of women that we've met through a hotel outreach, or they'd have called our hotline, or the other um, people in the community have directed towards us. We provide hygiene products. We take them shampoo, take them cigarettes, take them a gift card to McDonald's, whatever, just building that relationship with them. Um, But 
out of the women that have been in our safe home, I know that there's a cycle between self-prostitution and being a victim of sex trafficking. Um, and again, the bottom line is it's lack of choices. Um, we, um, a lot of women will possibly start self-prostituting themselves because of a drug addiction or they need more money to pay a light bill, whatever. And so, and the sad reality is, is they, they, they do the prostitution or they put themselves in that situation usually because of past childhood trauma, mm-hmm. sexual trauma, neglect, physical abuse. And so they don't see their value in themselves. So they think, well, this is going to be easy money. I can do this. It happened to me in the past. I can just gut through it and I'll do it and I'll get a few extra $100 or $20. Um, and so they do that. But then what happens is in, in all 33 that we've served have had an addiction. So what happens is then after they do that, then their drug use usually increases because of the shame and the guilt and all that. And so then it becomes a vicious cycle because they need more money for more drugs. And then maybe they're self-prostituting themselves and they're working at a gas station or they're working at Target, um, but they're still doing this on the side. And then they meet a friend or a boyfriend that sees what they're doing and um, they befriend them. Um, and women traffic women all day long. And men traffic women as well. Um, men traffic men. Um, so they meet someone who kind of fills a, a void that they have, a relationship void, whether that be the boyfriend or the best friend. And and they come in and, and they're not telling this person, oh, you don't need to be prostituting yourself. They're like maybe promoting a, a little bit. And so... Before she knows it, um, this is her trafficker. Um, this is someone who now possibly has her ID. Um, he or she is arranging the dates. Um, they're keeping the money. They might give her a portion of that, but they they are the one profiting off of her sexual exploitation. And so um, maybe after she's in this situation for a few months, she, she realizes, I got to get out. Um, and she's not physically chained, you know, she can walk out, but then they uh, say, well, now they know where her family lives. They know where her mother lives. They know her children live. Um, they know where her little sister lives. These are all stories that that I've heard. You know, I didn't leave because they knew where my little sister was. And they said, if I left, we're going to go get her, you know? So they, they keep them there through that coercion. Um, they have Pictures. They have videos of these women um, in very precarious situations, you know. So um, there's something that is keeping them there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but let's say that they do, they do leave, they do leave, um, they get out, um, and the threats were never followed through by the trafficker. And so now she's out on her own. Um, she's back working a nine to five job making minimum wage. Um, she's got light bills. She's got, you know, her mom's taking care of her kids. She's got to send money. And, you know, what she's making in one day or in one week, she passed off to her trafficker in three hours. And uh, she realizes that. So then it's kind of like, I'll go back out and I'll do this on my own. Um, but I'm not going to be tricked into that again. And so then she starts the cycle over. Mm-hmm. And, and that is what we see. And so we know um, that, that that there is a vicious cycle out there between prostitution and sex trafficking and that people in these situations cannot leave it by themselves. They have to have resources. They have to have um, 
organizations like Scarlet Rope in Slavery Restore Corps come alongside and saying, we're here to help you out of this. Mm-hmm. So what does that process look like? Somebody that that, that mm-hmm. comes to a place of saying, um, I, I know I don't want to be here mm-hmm. anymore. Is that where the hotel outreach mm-hmm. comes in? So, yeah, we, um, ho- the hotel outreach is, is a way for us. Every, so every food box that we give them um, in the hotels, um, it has our logo and our number in it. So, um, and we are there just passing out food and just praying with people um, and just kind of putting it out there that, look, hey, um, if you know of someone in a situation like this, tell her to call us, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we we see women that are right in the middle of it. That are We see the women that open up the doors and the traffickers behind the door, um, you know. But here's the thing with that. Um, a lot of these victims are not going to raise their hand and say, yes, I, you know, he's trafficking me because they don't trust. Um, and so that is, that is part of the hotel outreach. That's the whole bottom line of that is gaining trust, being consistent, showing up. Um, even if they're switching hotels like a lot of them do, they know on the first and third Wednesday of every month, those people are going to be there handing out food. Mm-hmm. So us being consistent gives them a place to come mm-hmm. that they know there is safety there. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as a woman coming into our program, um, we take... We've had women that call in self-referral. They're mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm, I'm at the Scottish Inn. I've been here. Um, I was with a trafficker. I just left him two days ago. I don't know what to do. I want help. We get referrals from Pathways, women that come in there through their crisis or their detox unit that self-identify. Mm-hmm. We get women from Aspel and Jacoa. The other component to this is that, and I do an education class at Aspel and Jacoa once a month with all the female residents that are in their, their 28-day alcohol and drug program, Um, just teaching them what sex trafficking is. And really, a lot of these women don't self-identify. They think, well, I was a heroin addict or I was a crack hoe, and I wanted to do that because I wanted to get my dope. And But when you start talking to them about the manipulation that that kept them in that situation, then they really start to Mm self-identify. Um, we've had women that came in to our program um, because they were trafficked by a, a male, a pimp. What we what we think of when we think of sex trafficking, but then it was she realized later on through the therapy and the hard work that she was trafficked by family members as a young child. She just thought it was sexual abuse, which that's bad enough, you know. But then realizing that they were profiting off that—that that is trafficking—and so. Um, so, yeah, it's there's a lot there. <laughs> mm-hmm. So talk mm-hmm. a little bit about the, the trauma-informed center. So when someone enters in mm-hmm. uh, to the safe house, mm-hmm. what does the process of um, help look like? So, um, you know, I just recently um, in the past couple of years have learned about this trauma-informed care approach. You're a therapist. I'm sure you know about it as well. Um, You know, and um, we already, and we're implementing that into our program, but really trauma-informed care is just about kindness. That's all it is. It's just about kindness and, and not making presumptions and just listening and communicating. So it's a fancy way of saying we just try our best to show the love of Christ every day. Mm -hmm. Um, But 
when a woman comes into our program, we know the first thing that has to be established is safety. Mm-hmm. They have to feel safe. And that's not just safety with alarms and locks on the doors. That's safety with our staff, that they can tell us things and that we're not going to have a jaw drop or we're not going to go and tell other people that um, that she can communicate with us, you know. And so establishing establish establishing that in the first you know two months is is just key mm-hmm. and then also they have to be sober um you have to you got to be sober first and then the safety thing comes so we do require our, the women do a 28 day stay at a alcohol and drug treatment facility before they come to us because addiction is the vulnerability that led most of these into the hands sure. of a trafficker and so we want them to have that um in the very beginning. And sadly, a lot of these women have been to those type programs four, five, six, ten times. But we still require that of them. Um, and it just shows commitment to their recovery and to their healing when they do that. And so we will tell them, you know, when you come in, we're not an alcohol and drug treatment facility. However, we work heavily with Chicoa and Aspel. We make sure that they get to those AA, NA meetings. Um, we want them to work a program. We allow them to choose that. Um, sponsors, all that. We have great resources and great people in the recovery community that walk alongside us every day and help the women in that component. But, you know, so yes, in the very beginning, it's just establishing that safety, making sure that that, um, they have the resources to stay sober. And then, you know, just collaboration and just getting their input, like, what do you need? Mm-hmm. Um, as I mentioned, I was a registered, I am a registered nurse. I still run my nursing license through this um, as a community health nurse. Um, but like in nursing, we developed a plan of care. And so if you had diabetes or heart disease or whatever, you know, we would sit down and talk about your plan of care. And so we do the same thing with the women. Um, you know, what, what do you, we need, what do you need from us to help you get back on your feet? Um and so just getting their input on that, we want, we want their, them to have a voice because they, they haven't had one in for so long. And for some, that is really hard. Mm-hmm. They don't even know what they like or what they want to do. So mm-hmm. if that's the case, okay, let's just give you some space just to read, just to reconnect, um, you know. On a side note, COVID, (laughs) that's all, you just have to say that, and everybody kind of pauses. But COVID happened, and we had two young girls um, that were living in our safe house at that time, and the world really shut down. And I was like, Lord, what are we doing here? Like, we can't get them to AA meetings. I mean, we were able to continue with our trauma therapist, Dr. Helton, which was so Mm -hmm. awesome. Mm -hmm. But there was a lot of downtime in the house, and I just realized that the girls at that, we only had two for the majority of that time, and they were 18 and like 24. Mm. And I realized they never had an environment growing up where they could just hang out on a couch and watch TV and eat popcorn. And that's what we provided them mm. for them during mm-hmm. that time. Like, yeah. so even during COVID and when the world stopped, mm-hmm. I feel like we still did a, mm-hmm. a great job mm-hmm. of just allowing them that space of like, this is what a home, this is a safe home where you can just rest mm-hmm. and you can almost kind of go back and and just have that that peace of just a child, you know? And so letting them feel that um, and so 
yeah, that was, um, the, that's just one of those things that, you know, you're going through the motions. You're like, what is going on here? And then three months later, the Lord's like, that's what that was. Yeah, and seeing that <laughs> as a huge benefit yeah. to provide mm-hmm. this environment mm-hmm. where someone can actually not only physically rest, but their soul rest. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And just and just be around people that, yeah, um, allow them to do that. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, so um, safety, collaboration, um, I can't, I should know the five principles and they've just left me, <laughs> but um, just being kind and just mm-hmm. asking, you know, what, what yeah. do you want? And so that, so the, the plan of care. So what we do is kind of do a long, long term, short term goals. Um, I will say we've had women come into our program that dropped out of school in the sixth grade. We've had women come in that have graduated from college with master's degrees. Mm-hmm. So, this it has no it has no parameters uh-huh. it has no boundaries of it's just going after this type of person it um it can anybody can fall trap to it and so um so we um again develop just kind of that individualized plan of care of like okay do you we encourage them to if they did not graduate from high school um, we encourage them to get their high set, which that's the the new terminology for GED. We encourage them to do that. Do you want to get a job? Do you want to go to college? We actually just had one um, that uh, just toured Jackson State, and she's going to be starting in the fall. She um, had um, been to a, a program previously and had done some paperwork and got her FAFSA and all that done. So it was a pretty easy process. So um, she'll be starting Jackson State in the fall. We have another one who's a little bit older who she knows that she wants to just to get a factory job. Um, so um, she's not quite there yet, but she'll be looking into that in about next the next four months. Um, and then we have another one who is working on her high set right now. And she's... N- I mean, she's doing awesome and she's doing great. So, um, so yeah, so when they leave our program, which is 18 to 24 months, we say that there are four things that we want them to have. And that is sobriety, um, healthy, happy sobriety, not just be sober, but be healthy and happy being sober. Um, we want them to have employment, Safe employment that it's not it's not just uh, I'm going to do this for a few months, but stable, safe employment, a bank account with money in it, um, and then a community of support for when they leave us. And then the unspoken one is, of course, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Our tagline is that we're not going with you when you leave the SRP home. We're going to be your community of support, but Jesus can go with you every step of the way. So while you're here, make this time worthwhile with your relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it sounds very holistic in um, not only providing life skills, but also providing uh, mm-hmm. healing for um, past trauma and mm-hmm. and continuing yes. to provide a, a therapeutic environment where there can be mm-hmm. processing through their own story. There can be healing from that. There can be, you know, the, them seeing and working through that uh, and, and, and then leaving and saying, mm-hmm. okay, we, holistically, mm-hmm. uh, we have provided these um, uh, opportunities, these inroads, um, but also we have a community that we want to continue mm-hmm. to stay connected with and connected to. And um, 
That's the one of the best things is yeah. that we're starting to see that mm-hmm. um, the women that have have graduated from our program are coming back, mm-hmm. and that I mean that's just a whole another thing yeah. to see them come back and pour into these women and lead Bible studies, you know, and lead groups. We've got a great uh, new program or. Uh, called Ending the Game. It's written by survivors, and it's specifically for victims of sex trafficking. And one of the ladies that graduated our program over two years ago is coming back and leading that group. Um, and so that that's, you know, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something to say about someone that's sitting beside you that can identify with your trauma, and you can look to them and see hope. Yeah. And we knew that going into this, that we were going to have to have voices of survivors helping us Mm -hmm. cultivate this program. Mm -hmm. Julianne, how do you personally, um, this is a marathon. Absolutely. This is not a sprint. And I'm a a marathon runner, not a sprinter. Okay. So you run marathons (laughs) back in the day. (laughs) So, you know, the, you know, the, Mm -hmm. the cost and the toil and the reality, Mm -hmm. how do you, how do you personally stay, um, healthy in, cause you're Mm -hmm. dealing with, you know, some really, really hard realities. And there are times that probably you see victories and there's times mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you so long for someone to stay for the 18 to 24 months and they, and they yeah. go back. And yeah. so yeah. What, what have been some of the helpful practices for you to stay spiritually vital mm-hmm. in the midst of this very difficult work? Mm-hmm. Well, I have my ups and downs, mm-hmm. uh, for sure. Yeah. Um Right now, I'm probably on an upswing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, therapy, I, mm-hmm. I go to therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, um, you know, we we have a great team, um, uh, staff, I call them team, um, that really support each other. Um, and so just um, looking out after each other, um, that's, that's just been key for me. Um, I have people that encourage me, such as my husband, Debbie Curry, mm-hmm. Um, they kind of can keep me in check. <laughs> Melanie Buckholtz, who is um, my side partner um, in this, she's director of survivor services. Um, we're real good about giving each each other time and space to go, you know, back away for a minute, um, and just um, it's staying on my knees in my prayer closet <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So, and I'm, and I will say. Um, from and just one of just one of the simple things is just nature, just just going for walks, yes. you know, um, just getting outside. Thank goodness it's spring, and just being able to go outside mm-hmm. and um, you know seeing all the blooms and just like you know right. looking at a tree that looks dead and you see right. a bloom on it, like yeah, the tree right out my window. That's my right that's what now. I call my life tree. <laughs> yeah. So as Absolutely. I'm sitting here, that's yeah, yeah that's just I something mean, as simple as the the beauty yeah. of nature that re renews and resets mm-hmm. and restores our soul in the midst of some pretty hard marathon like yeah. work. I, I was just telling my husband that two days ago. I was like. I love spring, but for whatever reason, like I'm really getting into spring this mm-hmm. year. I could think it's all things COVID and all that. And it's just, it's been a hard year with for Scarlet Rope, some of the women that we've served that have run from our program. Mm-hmm. And so um, just really, and we talk about mindfulness with our survivors. And mm-hmm. um, we just had a group about that yesterday. And so when I am talking to them about that, I'm also talking to myself about it, you know? Um, and so, yeah, just out the outdoors is huge for me. Mm-hmm. Just getting outside in the fresh mm-hmm. air. 
So how can the body of Christ, I mean, this is an incredible ministry and it's so inspiring to hear the work that you are doing and uh, this long, with a, with a big vision mm-hmm. and a long road and uh, you're seeing uh, victories of people who have worked through the program, who have gained sobriety, who have become more whole and healthy, who are now coming back and instructing others and being a voice of change within that. So how can the body of Christ uh, encourage, support, um, come around the Scarlet Rope Project? Um, well, prayer, number mm-hmm. one. And we do have a, a prayer email. Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I know for me personally, I have about two or three people for my self-care that I can just easily text and say, it's a, it's a hard day today, you know, say a prayer for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but also that for just um, our staff in the work that we're doing. Um, we definitely need that. You know, we, we need uh, the... The church body to also realize that um, we need financial support. I mean, mm-hmm. we just, you know, you, I hate asking for money, but bottom line, we, we need financial support mm-hmm. to run things. And so um, because of um, the trust and, um, and all that we try so hard to build with these women and keeping it a very safe um almost tight community in the very beginning. Almost anonymous. Yeah, Yeah. uh, exactly. Um, We can't have, we don't have a lot of hands-on in the house. Um, And so that's hard. Um, It's not like we're trying to do anything in secret or that we're, you know, um, that we're, I've had people think, well, y'all are going down, knocking down doors and busting. That's, and we're not doing that either. We don't rescue. I do not use the word rescue in this. So, um, but so I guess we need the, the church body, you know, to just really recognize our work, recognize that we have it here in our community, start talking about it. Um, financial donations, prayer, um, you know, we're always needing people to collect things for us. Um, whatever you need in your house, we need in our house, toilet paper, light bulbs, um, paper products, all that. Um and then also um, engaging in our community events, asking us to come speak um, so we can bring aw- awareness and education to people because that's how you fight human trafficking. That's how you fight um, humans selling other humans is bringing awareness to it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and as we had talked about earlier, um, what that really looks like and the, the sensationalism of it um, and again, what it is and what it is not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Speak a little bit to the sensationalism part of it. Um, well, you know, the, there's, a, there's been a lot over the past six months, I would say. I, I, when I think of it, the first thing that comes to me is the Wayfair instance where, um, if you're familiar with that, where they were saying that Wayfair was um, selling Amaras with kids in yes, them. Yes, yes. Um, and if you paid $10,000 for the Amanda chest, you got it with a 10-year-old girl in it. Well, I mean, red flags went up with everyone that's in this anti-trafficking movement because that's high risk. We know that human trafficking, sex trafficking, is a low-risk crime. Um, uh, I'm sorry, uh, low-risk, low high-reward crime. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, 
can that happen? It can. We all know crazy things can happen anytime, but the reality of that happening is probably not. Why would they do that when there is um, a child in their neighborhood or somewhere around them that is vulnerable and all they have to do is groom and provide that child whatever that child wants or is lacking and then they have them and they can traffic them that way. Um, what When we have stories like that and we have the white van that pulled up in Hobby Lobby and kidnapped somebody, and again, that can happen. Um, there's creepy people out there, mm-hmm. you know? But when we constantly are saying that that's what sex trafficking is, then the woman that's sitting at the Scottish Inn right now who's shooting up um, and her trafficker um, just called in the next client, she's not going to self-identify as a victim of trafficking because right. she's getting drugs from him. She got a safe place to stay last night. He did buy her Taco Bell yesterday. Um, and she really wanted that next hit of heroin. So she's not going to self-identify. Um, she wasn't kidnapped. She wasn't. She didn't cross a sea. She wasn't put in a white van. And so when we constantly have that narrative of this is what it is, then people don't self-identify and they don't ask for help. Mm-hmm. So we got to we got to start talking about the different ways it it happens. And I mentioned that earlier. Like people sometimes tend to think that this is a big city problem. Well, it's a small city problem, too. Um, the types of trafficking that we see around here, um, obviously in Jackson's in between Memphis and Nashville, and so we see the gang trafficking. We see the pimp trafficking, and pimp trafficking, again, can be a female trafficking a female, a female trafficking a male. It's someone that's controlling someone. Then we see familiar trafficking, and that's when family members traffic each other, usually family mem- members trafficking children. Um, and then we also see a lot of survival trafficking. And that's when someone's just exploiting them sexually um, because they know that they can, because they know that this person needs a safe place, mm-hmm. needs a place to stay or or needs their next hit of dope. Mm-hmm. That is survival trafficking. And so um, I think I got off of sensationalism. But <laughs> no, and that's very, very helpful. <laughs> but, no, that's very um, helpful. But that is, those are the, the four types that we see around here. So... Yes. So when we talk about Wayfair and we talk about white vans, we don't we yeah. we negate all the others, yeah. and we don't want to do that. Yeah, it, it makes mm-hmm. it this more dramatic, mm-hmm. even though that does mm-hmm. exist. But there's this more mm-hmm. uh, quote unquote natural uh, mm-hmm. progression of of someone who has simply gotten in this cycle mm-hmm. uh, that becomes very challenging mm-hmm. to get out. And I think. Um, as a mom of two daughters, mm-hmm. I I think sensationalism kind of makes me, if I, if I buy into that, well, then it's not going to happen to my kids. It's not mm-hmm. going to happen to my daughters. And so it's kind of like a way to self-protect. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I have one in college now and I have one in uh, almost in middle school. And so um, they, they, they both could be a potential victim of this. They, mm-hmm. you know, um, and just... Um, because everybody has a vulnerabilities and bottom line, that's, that's what traffickers look for are vulnerabilities in people. Um, you know, my daughter just went to college. She's in a new town. She's meeting a lot of new people. Like constantly I'm like, be self-aware, you know, all those things. Um, my other middle school daughter is on her phone, you know, look at your accounts. Are they private? All of those, having those conversations. Um, so, yeah. 
mm-hmm. and realizing we we live in a world that is highly highly sexualized Absolutely. and we live in a world of incredible sexual brokenness yes. and um the the body of Christ uh needs to be willing mm-hmm. to move into those dark areas that are difficult to talk about mm-hmm. are difficult to wrap our mind around you know the reality of this um and and yet the work that you're doing is bringing this light in the midst of that mm-hmm. and um and it, we, yeah it's 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 a topic that is hard to talk about yes um and it's not a fun topic um to talk about it's kind of, it's can be embarrassing at times you know um but it it is you know it is something and then sometimes I'll I'll be talking to my kids I'm like I sound just like my mother or my grandmother <laughs> you know but it's so but it, it you've got we've got to start talking about it and start it in the homes just start it with your kids you know about about all about the hypersexualism and you know we Pre-COVID, we were going into some schools talking specifically about pornography to students mm-hmm. and how that is the gateway into sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, there's all these porn- pornography sites now that you can just, you know, everybody has access to. And even if kids are looking at it just out of curiosity, um, we, we now know... and. Pornhub is one of those, and there's a huge movement in the anti-trafficking um, world to get that taken down, to get Pornhub mm-hmm. taken down. Um, Exodus Cry is really leading the charge against Pornhub, um, so check that out, exoduscry.com. But, um, uh, but when our children, even if it's just out of curiosity, when they are looking at these things, I mean, there's there's that world out there that's that's monitored, you know, that sees what we're clicking on and we're fueling the industry. We're saying we want more. Right. We want more, even if it is an innocent thing. But we also know that if it starts innocent and it continues, it's not going to continue to be innocent. Right. Um, you know, the same, the, the, the neuropathology of it mm-hmm. is the same thing as doing drugs yes. um, when you're watching pornography. Yes. And so educating our kids about that, right. like, you know, um, your brain lights up and in all of that, the same thing as if you were to do a line of cocaine, that same part of your brain is lighting up when you're watching those pornographic right. images. And right. so it's highly addictive. Yes. And so getting that out there to our children um, and just also the desensitization that we all have with the music and all of that. Mm-hmm. And no one likes to be a prude. I don't like to be a prude, but you know, we, we got to start having these conversations. We just, we have yeah, to. And, and the reality is God is the creator of sexuality. Mm-hmm. Right. It's his, exactly. it's his mm-hmm. creation. It's his mm-hmm. gift. It's his to be something that is uh, enjoyed, beautiful, good in the confines that God uh, dictated in, in marital covenant love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet the enemy in the world has taken that and twisted it and Absolutely. brought great brokenness. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and we talk about pornography too, because the women again in our, that have come to our program will tell us that many times when they were, um, when they were meeting up with a, a John or a buyer that they had specific sexual images or things that they 
ask the women to do because of their addiction to pornography. Right. So again, that's why we got to start talking about this. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have to see that, um, that something that was created so good mm-hmm. and something that God created as, uh, as a gift that a husband and wife share together, uh, then the enemy and the evil one takes mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and twists. And the, the flip side of that is, oh, well, suddenly, um, you know, because of all of that, the church doesn't have these conversations mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and it becomes taboo. And instead of actually saying, we have the better story, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we have mm-hmm. the better narrative yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we have the, the picture mm-hmm. of beauty and goodness and, and wholeness. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and yet, you know, you see the brokenness um, and, and I, and I think that's a powerful connection uh, that the the gateway is pornography. There is an objection that this uh, man or woman becomes a object. Yes, um, a and, commodity. Uh, yeah, a commodity. Mm-hmm. And so, actually owning that and and saying that is evil. It's not something to be joked about. It's not something to be made just normal. Um, this is a deviation mm-hmm. of the very goodness of God. Mm-hmm. And and you're seeing that mm-hmm. lived out with the women mm-hmm. right in front of yes. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I am so inspired by the work, by your courage to enter into these places. It's the um, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. have to put it back on him. Yeah, and, <gasps> you know? and having the long view of... Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that is a marathon and we're committed Absolutely. to it. And just this image that keeps coming in my mind, Julianne, is as you read the Gospels, um, one cannot just do a plain reading of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see one of the biggest uh, issues that Jesus continued to face from the religious community mm-hmm. was this is a guy who hangs out with tax collectors and sinners. This was a guy who touched those who were unclean. Uh, this is a man who brought dignity uh, and love to those who were social outcasts. Mm-hmm. And the religious community hated him for that. Mm-hmm. But we're but we're all tax collectors and sinners. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Every single one exactly. of us. Exactly. <laughs> yes. And so therefore, mm-hmm. there's this leveling as we do this work to say, you know, maybe my mm-hmm. experience has not been one that has been sex trafficked, mm-hmm. um, but but I am in desperate need just as this young yeah, lady's yeah, in desperate absolutely. need. And so mm-hmm. often, instead of coming with, I am the savior who's going mm-hmm. to rescue you, there's this, we are learning from each other. And I'm sure you've had that experience yourself. Um, Debbie Curry, I keep mentioning her. She's, yeah. she's kind of my ride or die. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't even know if she remembers saying this to me. And I don't even think that it was about Scarlet Rope. I think it was about something prior to Scarlet Rope that she told me one time. She was like, you cannot take the, it was, I was help a friend of mine. I was talking to her about a situation. She was like, you can't take the burden of that and you can't take the victory of it either because mm-hmm. you just got to give it all to, to God. Mm-hmm. And so that's exactly, I mean, I, that is my mantra yes. of like, 
um, if if I'm going to take the victory of all the great things that Scarlet Rope has done, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that went didn't go as planned, and I'd have to take the burden of that. And so I'm not I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to celebrate the the victories. Um, I'm going to celebrate that the Lord has lets me be His hand, hands and feet, like that He lets us in on this work. Mm-hmm. Like that is crazy. What other God would allow people in on that? Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and I'm also on on the the downside of things when things don't go as planned and I'm not going to take the burden of that, but I'm going to realize I planted seeds that, yes. that, that we planted seeds and that the Lord used that time for whatever. And I'm, we might not see the outcome of those seeds. Um, but I, I just have to rest in that. I did what he wanted us, what he wanted us to do for that mm-hmm. person at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have a woman at our program now who was at another anti-trafficking organization two years ago. So this is her second go around in a program like ours. And um, I'm so grateful that, you know, she had that time there because um, now, think, now things are kind of are really clicking for her at Scarlet Rope. And so I know it's the seeds that they planted. So if a woman leaves our program and we don't know where she is. I just have to, I have hope that she's going to land up somewhere, land somewhere else and that the seeds that we planted or they're going to see the fruits of that. Mm-hmm. Someone else will. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you know, I, but that, I, that's hard. Yes. <laughs> it's hard, it, you know, um, but um, some days it's easier than others, but mm-hmm. it, it constantly reminding myself of that, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, all the more reason as as I hear you say that is to and and for our listeners uh, to say we're going to pray we're going to pray for Julianne we're going to pray for the board we're going to pray for this ministry we're going to pray that there would be just God's continued sustaining holding carrying mm-hmm. um, you know opportunity that you find uh, respite that you find things that keep wind in your sails for this long arduous difficult work and yet um, you also know that you are doing um, powerful work on the front lines uh, around a issue and a topic that would be easy to say, we know this exists, but let somebody else do the work. Mm-hmm. And so I, I hope that uh, if nothing else, as those who listen to this podcast would say, uh, I'm going to regularly pray for uh, the Scarlet Rope Project, for the leadership, for the women, uh, for those who are in our city, uh, who are in the bondage, to mm-hmm. have the courage to yes. to be released from that, uh, and to enter into this place of beauty and dignity um, and restoration, mm-hmm. um, and 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 I hope that people will listen to this too and say, given the nature of the work, given the uh, reality that um, you're not going to be able to do a video that you post all over of a woman who has been sex trafficked. It's a very uh, private, behind the scenes, uh, unseen, needing to be to honor the dignity of this woman who has come out of this incredible, uh, hellacious world. Um, and yet to realize there is 
strategic, intentional work that's taking place. And so I hope listeners will say, I want to give my money. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, I want to give my money to the <laughs> sustaining of this. Mm-hmm, uh, I want to give my money to the resources to help continue uh, this work. Um, because the nature of the work requires those who are within the inner circle to have a certain level of uh, skill and a certain level Absolutely. of knowledge and education mm-hmm. um, that uh, there's a specialized reality with that that doesn't make it uh, as accessible uh, to the masses. Um, but there is prayer, there is financial resources, uh, and, and there's also just your continued ministry of an awareness that this exists in our backyard. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. I'm so inspired by your story, Julianne, and, uh, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us today on the Story Forum podcast. For more information about Fellowship Bible Church in Jackson, you can visit us at fellowshipjackson.com. Join us next time as we enter into the story of others together.